What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Anthony DiOrio is primarily known as a co-founder of Ethereum and an early investor in Bitcoin. DiOrio is the founder and CEO of blockchain company Decentral and the associated Jax Wallet. He also served as the first chief digital officer of the Toronto Stock Exchange. In this conversation, we discuss the early days of Bitcoin, co-founding Ethereum, how to compound impact, and what Anthony is building with Decentral and Jax. I really enjoyed this conversation with Anthony, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is LMAX Digital. They are the leading institutional cryptocurrency exchange, which offers clients a regulated, transparent, and secure trading environment. They take no retail investors, just institutional investors. With an average of $2 billion traded per day, LMAX Digital counts all the largest global crypto trading institutions as its clients. Leveraging the LMAX Group's proven low-latency technology and liquidity relationships, LMAX Digital offers the market-leading solution for crypto trading and custodial services. As a primary price discovery venue, LMAX Digital provides streaming real-time market data to the industry-leading indices and analytics platforms, enhancing the quality of market information available to investors. Trade like an institution with LMAX Digital. Learn more at lmaxdigital.com slash pop. If you're an institution, go to lmaxdigital.com slash pop. No retail traders, institutional cryptocurrency exchange, the leading one. Go to lmaxdigital.com slash pop. Next up is Exodus. They are leading the world out of the traditional financial system by building beautiful and user-friendly blockchain products. With its focus on design and user experience, Exodus has become one of the most popular and loved cryptocurrency apps. It's supported on both desktop and mobile, allowing you to sync your wallet across multiple devices so you can have access to your funds anywhere. You can instantly exchange around 100 different cryptocurrencies straight from your wallet. Interactive charts let you view an asset's price history and your portfolio's performance over time. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with the Treasure Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Visit Exodus.com for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or the Play Store. Again, Exodus.com for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or the Play Store. Also, don't forget that I read a daily letter to over 150,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy-to-understand language while sharing my personal opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Anthony. I hope you enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Anthony here with me. Uh, you know that his mother was a, a very intelligent person because she obviously named Anthony, which is the greatest name in the American language. So uh, thanks so much for doing this, man. It's great to be here. And it's, and it's definitely Anthony and not Tony. <laughs> I'm the same way. All right. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's just start with, uh, with kind of your background. Where'd you grow up and uh, how did you get into uh, business technology and investing? 
Sure. Uh, I was building computers when I was about eight years old. I was born in 1975. So my, my dad brought home a computer uh, when I was about, geez, about in 82, 83, and IBM PC Jr. And, and, and this was really the dawn of personal computing. And I was just hooked. That was my thing all through through school. That was the thing that I got taken away from me when, when I did something bad. Um, so I just became the computer guy. I was building computers when I was about 10 or 11. I was uh, working with a family friend doing networking at, at schools. So just, just immersed in, in, in computers. And then before the internet came about, I was on modems and communicating with people on BBS boards. And so that was the, the common thread for me as, as a child. That in sports, I, I grew up playing hockey and, and soccer. Um, but um, fast forward to, to university, I didn't really want to get into computers. It wasn't my thing. My dad was an entrepreneur. So I, I went into business. I've got a commerce degree at, at Ryerson University. Um, so I didn't ever want to be the developer, but wanted to be the person that would be working with developers and, and the problem solver. I mean, my dad instilled on me very early on the asking of why for every, anything. Like, why is it like that? Is there a better way to do things? That just was the nature of him. Uh, he's, he's an inventor. Uh, he's, he's got a number of patents in the sport of curling, which he kind of transformed. Um, so just, just growing up with that and the questioning of why and it driving you nuts until you have a good answer or until you can figure out a better way to do things has always been instilled with me. So uh, went to school, university in the, in the, in the 90s, um, business, as I said, and then went to work for the family business, which was sliding patio doors manufacturing in, in the 2000s. So my dad had, and his brothers had a company, uh, about 120 employees, and uh, worked there, got a lot of knowledge from that. Along the way, I'd started a few different companies. Uh, my first business was actually in the 90s doing web design and, and graphic design with HTML1 when that first came out. But uh, after working for the family business, my my, my dad uh, decided to retire and sell the business. And I had an opportunity to do something that I wanted to do. And he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to do something technology focused and something green, because this was really the, the start around 2008, 2007. There was a lot of, a lot of talk and incentives for, for people to put in green technologies, especially here in Canada. And I got into geothermal drilling. It was, uh, I bought this massive drill from, from Italy and uh, proceeded to, to drill holes hundreds of feet into the ground with my drilling team uh, to heat and cool buildings. And we started with two Ikeas in Italy and then brought it over back to Canada here and started doing commercial jobs, condos, um, retirement centers, houses, basically using the Earth's temperature to heat and cool, heat and cool buildings. And that was my first uh, time that I, that I realized when government kind of started getting in the way with things and they started instituting a whole bunch of red tape and made it difficult and timely to, to have to do a lot of the stuff that we needed to do. And it ended up, the market ended up diminishing uh, just because of the, the, the interference that was, that, that, that came about from that and also working with drillers, which are a whole other animal. Um, but um, in 2011, um, decided to sell a couple of properties that I, that I had bought and looking at what had happened in the US and the housing crisis and the banking crisis, I kind of thought we'd run into the same issue here up in Canada. We didn't, but from 2005 to 2011, I did quite well with the properties I had. So I ended up selling my properties and I had this cash. And, um, that's when I heard about Bitcoin. And this was in 2012, in, in the summer of 2012. Uh, and I kind of took my, my background in computers and entrepreneurship and um, 
and, and economics, because I've been studying economics since 2009, a few years, and got down the, the Austrian uh, you know, rabbit hole of, of a different way of thinking of economics. And, and it kind of all culminated when I heard about Bitcoin. And I couldn't utilize the internet when it came about. I was a little too fresh still. That's when I was going to university. But it really was a perfect storm when, when, when I heard about Bitcoin and, and knew all about decentralized technologies. And, and just it, it made so much sense to me right away. And I got it right away. And I, I was up for weeks just devouring it and catching up and got in around 10 bucks. It was my, my first initial investment. So that's kind of the, the short form of how I got into tech and got into this. And I started to think about what I could do that was taking my skills to create value in the space and uh, looked for a community. There wasn't any. And I started the Toronto Bitcoin meetup group in 2012. And that was my way of saying, hey, there's no community here. I'm going to build it. And if you can bring people together and, and people are interested and excited about a certain theme or technology or or, or idea, um, then you really become a center of gravity and things start coming together. So that's really what I'm you know, pretty proud of was bringing together the community here in Toronto. Um, my first meetup, Vitalik Buterin showed up and Peter Todd showed up. And that was really the, the genesis of the Toronto scene that started out. So uh, we grew to, you know, uh, from 10 people at a meetup to hundreds to doing conferences. And we've done about 120 events since then, since 2012. So that was the start. So when you first see Bitcoin, you've got some cash uh, from the properties. Why buy Bitcoin? Like, was it, hey, I'm going to buy this thing, it's going to go up uh, a bunch, then I'm going to sell it for a profit? Uh, was it, you know, I want to uh, protect my wealth? What, what was kind of the, the genesis of the idea to actually make the investment? In my journey through economics, uh, from what happened in studying the the, the what happened in the U.S. and it kind of was sparked my brother getting me to, to, to look into what money really is. He, he, he's, he's like, study the history of money. And I started doing that and started understanding things more and uh, came across Peter Schiff. And uh, Peter Schiff, you know, predicting the housing crisis, predicted the banking crisis. Um, and, and I started, to, started listening to his podcast and Funny story. I mean, I mean, I, I'd like to say to his face one day, if it wasn't for you, Peter, I never would have got involved in crypto because it really, if it wasn't for him and he's an anti, obviously an anti crypto person, but he kind of got me down the path of, of, you know, you got to be a value creator. You got to do things that an uh, you know, entrepreneur and being a business owner and hiring people. And that's, that's, that's really how you create value and, and freedom. And I've always been on a hunt for freedom. I, I never liked school. I never, I never liked being told what to do. So why did I get into it? Because it just made sense to me. I, the technology side of it made sense. The economic side of it makes sense. Because I'd almost throw my hands up in the air. I, I studied economics and new tech. And it's like, here's the problem. This, 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 these systems of booms and busts, this inflation, this, this, it's increasing the money supplies and the government getting involved in things that, that, that lead to trying to pick these winners and losers is really really, really a problem, but what do you do about it? And that was like the perfect timing to hear about this, this, this decentralized technology that uh, enabled people to be their own bank. And you could uh, do things without needing these intermediary level layers that didn't really provide any value. And it just made so much sense to me. And I connected the dots and I, and I you know, didn't put a lot in at the time. I think I put about $8,000 in at around 10 bucks at the time. And, and started, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big investment for me really. It, but it started me, 
you know, just, just learning and figuring out how can I create value in here and, and then started in the meetup groups and getting people together, ideas just started flowing and coming in and I started doing a gambling site. So me and me and uh, uh, my partner, Steve from, uh, who I'd connected with on Reddit back in 2012, he was a developer, I had business ideas. We said, hey, let's do something quick to make some cash and then we can do something more meaningful. So we we started up, uh, based on what Eric had done with, with Satoshi Dice, we created a more graphical, uh, game that, that only took Bitcoin and ended up exiting for a few thousand Bitcoin a few months later for that. So we, we, we achieved what we wanted to, which was let's do something that can get us some capital, do something more meaningful. And we did that. And, and that money, that, that exit that I did, and then plus my investments ended up being the initial funding for Ethereum. That's, that's how we were able to, to get that off the ground without needing the initial capital from the, the crowd sale that we did about a, you know, a number of months later. So it was those kind of two things that, that was able to get to get Ethereum off the ground and get that funded before we ended up selling to the to the general public and, 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 and collecting the, the larger amounts. So when you first see Bitcoin uh, and you start to put some of your own capital in, uh, there's a lot of people who did that and who sold along the way. And they said, hey, I bought it at you know, $10 and went to 20 and they sold and I'm a genius. And, you know, then it kind of does what it did. Uh, why keep investing more and more and more and keep building and, and kind of like doubling down. Was it that as the price, even though it was super volatile, it kind of kept moving up into the right over longer periods of time that gave you the confidence. Was it something else? Was it just the community you had built in Toronto? Like, like it's very rare to be that early in something and remain so heavily convicted, uh, you know, and, and press it so hard um, mm-hmm. over the years. When I get into something, I really go hard into it. Um, and I just, I've always been a long holder. I'm not someone that plays the markets. I, I'm not a trader. Uh, I just believe in the fundamentals of it. And I believe if it's not going to be something like Bitcoin, it's going to be something else that's like Bitcoin that's going to be providing the value that people want. And I'm, I'm by no means, means a, a maximalist of anything. I, I, I like choice. I think what people want to use is great. So I'm very inclusive to things. And I've, I spread it around with what I'm doing. And if it's, if it's something that I believe in, I'll put some money into it. Um, so I just, it's, it's rare. You're right. I, I, I know Andreas Antonopoulos has always said that, that everybody has that, 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 that thing where they dismiss it at first and then they actually pick it up later. I, I, I didn't do that. I literally, from the day that I heard about it, I bought my big, first Bitcoin the day that I actually heard about it. And I found someone on local Bitcoin and got it. And then it just, it just didn't stop. I really go heavy into things and, and that's what I've done. And I've done it since, and it's had its roller coasters, but I'm just a long-term, I just, I just, uh, it's not short-term for me. I believe fundamentals with it. Uh, I believe in its utility. I believe it's going to take time. Um, but I, I'm just, I have no doubts, you know, where, where I think this is going to head and, and who knows, you know, necessarily what technologies will, will be the winners of it. But I, I just think in general, the, the tech itself and the idea of empowering people with the tools they need to be in control of their lives is, is really what, what made it for me. And that's why I build what I build and we build, interfaces that connect all these technologies and, and wallets so that people can send and receive value. And uh, that's just, I like to build, I like to create. Um, and that's just part of my, my nature is being creative and solving problems and doing things that aren't normal in the way that, that they're normally done and figure out how to do things better. And it's, it's, I can't imagine myself doing anything else uh, for the last eight years. Um, it's just, it just made sense to me. For sure. And then walk us through when you decided that you guys should start Ethereum, kind of what was the thought process there? And just walk us through kind of that story quickly. Sure. So 
when I, when I exited the, in 2013 from the gambling site, we realized we had a wallet. Me and my partner started building wallets because we realized that's really akin to the, the browser for the internet is the wallet for crypto. You, you need that interface that the masses use and that's what the wallet does. So started building that. Um, along the way, Vitalik was, was helping me out with, with companies called CryptoKit at the time. Um, and and uh, he was assisting with a few things. And then I got connected with Charles Hoskinson. He was doing the Bitcoin education project back in the day in 2013. And I was doing stuff for the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada, a national nonprofit organization that I'd set up. And so we got connected and, and uh, along the way, got to know Vitalik as he was traveling around the world. I would go to conferences, he would be there. He was interviewing me for Bitcoin Magazine, which he was doing writing for. And, and then, it just made sense when he showed me the white paper in November of 2013. Um, a lot of it was over my head, actually. And I needed someone to kind of validate it for me. And, and Charles was the perfect person. So I showed it to Charles Hoskinson, um, connected him with Vitalik. And then and then two other people, Mihai Alisei, who was uh, Vitalik's partner at Bitcoin Magazine, and Amir Chetrit. Um, the five of us came together and, and we became the first five founders and set everything up and uh, got it off the ground. Uh, eventually added a few more founders and, and uh, Jeffrey Wilkie and Gavin Wood and, and Joseph Lubin. Uh, and that was the core eight. And, and it, it just was, was very early on understanding that, that there was more than Bitcoin now. And that was something that I didn't really get until Ethereum came along was that there's going to be more of these, there's going to be more powerful things than, than Bitcoin. And, and the idea of bringing smart contracts into play with this is going to add so much more value in many other sectors and many other things that that it just uh, that made sense to me and and we just decided to go for it and I dropped uh, kind of working on the wallet company for a while and we just went went full on into getting that off the ground and, and just started getting a lot of attention with it and uh, yeah the rest is history with that. Yeah, and so when you think about um, kind of the world outside of Bitcoin, right? I think. Bitcoin has been covered incredibly well. Uh, you've been around literally since the inception of uh, of that market. What do you see today as the opportunity there? Right, there's a lot of people who say, "Hey, it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin only, nothing else matters." There's a whole bunch of other people who say, "No, this technology, this decentralization idea, uh, can be brought to every market." Um, just walk us through, just philosophically, uh, at a high level, how do you look at everything other than Bitcoin at the moment and, and where we are? So. I like to say that, that 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 everything we deal with is digital. It's ones and zeros. It's information. Whether it's something digital in terms of an asset uh, with value, or it's it's a it's an email, it, it's all digital ones. It's all it's all digital. And and anything digital or anything that's information wants to be free. That's just my my stance on things. And anything you try to restrict or anything you try to fight, it's a losing battle. So. I believe that um, we've got so many people working on this technology now. It's it's. I've lost a little bit of my mojo for the space. Um, I think it's 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 in great hands now, and it's, and it's getting to the point that I was would only hope that it, that it would get to. I mean, look what we've got. We've got we've got Tesla putting. Like, it's it's really mind blowing. We would have thought a few years ago what's hap- what's actually happening right now, and I still think it's just the beginning. I think the impact is going to be felt in in pretty much every every sector. Um, I think that uh, a lot of stuff is still. I mean, it's 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 not it's not binary. You got a lot of hype still going on. You got the whole NFT stuff that's going on that kind of reminds me of what went on with the ICO craze back in the day. 
Um, there's, there's, there's a lot more receptiveness. I mean, I was speaking with the, you know, doing a government thing for the UAE today. There's just a lot more receptiveness and people are understanding that it's going to be a big part. And if you're a country or a government that's, that's looking to, to you know, do what you should be doing, which is, which is getting, getting ahead of the curve and seeing how you can distinguish yourself from other countries and, and learning about and educating yourselves. Um, I think that's that's where where, where countries and I'm hoping uh, ones that really stand aside are going to are going to do that on the regulatory side. And it's it's the common common stuff about, you know, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot if you try to do things that are going to hinder an innovation and the technology. So the countries that, that do figure this out are going to leapfrog and excel and then they're going to be the ones in demand. So, I mean, it's 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 gotten to the point right now i think that it's it's in really good hands to let this take off and go and for me i think it's going to be majorly impactful but it's it's i'm looking more to other things right now and myself um but it's, it's it's amazing really how it's come along this far for sure and so when you think about uh let's say the last you know five to seven years uh, basically since uh, ethereum uh, really came on the scene and then a number of these other uh, projects have uh, failed, but also there's a ton of projects that have succeeded so far in terms of the price of uh, or the market cap of those uh, networks. What's your evaluation in terms of, are we in the first inning? Are we maybe, okay, we got some good models now and now we're getting into more of the the uh, ability to replicate and, and keep sustainable networks up? Uh, are we near the finish line and, and we've done a bunch of innovation and there's not likely much more to come? Like, how do you just evaluate where we are in the evolution of this and, and the adoption? Still, yeah, still first inning. Um, most people in the world still don't have a clue about what to do with this or how to how to utilize it. Uh, we're just we're just very early on. My focus has always been to to try to get to the masses. Everything I build is for my dad to be able to use it, and that's what I think is needed. The interfaces, the experiences, um, are needed for the average person to to dig in like they did when they had the internet browser. They're like, okay, I can now navigate this thing. It makes kind of sense to me. We're just we're just so early on and unfortunately most people I think throw their hands up and just don't even get involved because they just don't know what to do and they don't have the trusted sources and there's no you know the leadership needs to really stand up and, and be able to have the tools in place for the average person to know where to go because you can just get lost in this stuff and and I think most people do and since the rise over the last couple of months you know I see my networks coming that, that aren't in the crypto space hey I, I'm hearing about this what what do I do I don't know where to go I don't it's a big problem. And I think most people just kind of tune it out because they're just lost. So I think we're very early on until we have the right interfaces and the right experiences for the average person to be able to go in and see that they've got some value in here. And even if it is just to, to, to invest a bit or just to, to put something in it, but I just think we're still super early on and it's because of the complexities of, of the space and it's the complexities of the technologies. And there's just so many different things out there and, and difficult for people to navigate. So um, I think once the education and, and the places that people, the average person can go and start utilizing and getting their hands a little dirty is, is, is when I'm going to say it's a little probably past the first thing, but I still think it's just, we're just super early on right now and that's okay. Yeah. One of the ideas that I've been thinking a lot about, and there's just not that many people to, uh, to talk about it, um, is crypto wealth, right? And so by my calculation, if you take, let's say the Forbes 400 uh, list and you were to take uh, many of the people who are well-known in the crypto industry uh, and you were to rank them there, uh, there's a number of people who would be in that top 50 or that top 100. Uh, and as uh, kind of the adoption of these technologies continues, I think that you know there's a very good chance that, I don't know, 
20, 25% of that list could be folks from one specific industry. Uh, how do you think uh, about that? Does is that normal? Is that something that uh, people should be paying more attention to? Does that add more responsibility to the industry? Just like that, that's something that seems like an outlier. And so how, how do you see that given you've just been around for so long uh, and seen this play out? Well, there's going to be, a, it's not going to be the same people that are, that are in those groups. You're going to have builders. You're going to have people that just bought and held. You're going to have different range of people that are, that are doing different things with that wealth. Um, but it does take some smarts to also have it and hold on to it and to get it to where you are. So I'm hoping the majority of those people are going to be the builders, the creators, the problem solvers that can then utilize that capital in much more meaningful ways and, and, and be able to understand some of the, the problems that the world is facing right now and then be able to take that wealth and do it in, in, in ways that are going to be service to other people and solve problems and do great things. So that's my hope is that you have a majority of people in that group that are builders, that are creators, that have figured things out and have done well in that space. And they're just going to continue to keep building. And I'm hoping that that's the majority, but I, I don't know what the breakup is with those things. But I am, I am hoping and optimistic that that's, that's going to be that, that wealth does get into doing bigger things and better things. And, and, and I've seen it. I've seen transitions of people where you get to a certain point and say, okay, what am I really doing here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And figuring out the, the, you know, your what, your why, and your how is kind of the biggest thing for me. And I think, I think getting anybody to kind of think about what is, why am I really doing what I'm doing? And, and, and why, or sorry, how, like, what is it that I, that I should be doing? And why am I doing that? And how am I doing that? Those are the, the three kind of critical questions that, that get asked, I think. And I, when you get to a certain point, you're like, okay, I've got everything that I need. How can I do something a little bigger? How can I do something that's going to make some real big impact? And, and what makes me happy? And, and how do I do that? And, so uh, that's that. Those are the types of people that I'm hoping, and I, and I know a lot of them that are in those groups where they could be listed in the top 50, and that and, and those are the people that I'm seeing that are transitioning or feel the sense that they're going more to a service role, which is really where I think is you know, that's that's my what to be of service, and 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 it makes me happy to be of service to people, and that's my why, and then and then the how is the is, is the problem solving, and that's what I'm good at. And, and utilizing my formulas to solve problems. And, 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 and that's how I'm gonna carry out those, the, the be of service thing. So um, I, I think it's gonna be different. I think we're, we're it, it's not the same in our space as it would be in a traditional setting where you're making the wealth, but at least for my network, it's also about, you know, we're there, they have, they, they have the, the, the intelligence and they have this, the, the different capitals you need, the trust capital, you need the wealth capital, knowledge capital, all these things that you need together in order to actually create some big change. So I'm optimistic that, that you're going to see some different people emerging from this that are, that are going to be problem solvers and really take that wealth that they're bringing together and, and the skills and, and the tools that they've been able to do to, to create some really great things. Before we get into what you're building with Decentral, uh, how do you think of your portfolio? Right in terms of uh, non-crypto assets, crypto assets, and then uh, also inside of crypto, any sort of breakdown between Bitcoin, Ether, uh, and everything else. Is, is there kind of just ballpark uh, percentages uh, in terms of how you can structure a portfolio? Yeah. Uh, so so previously, over the from you know, 2017 when I was in 2018, early 2018, where I did most of my investments. Um, I was able to, to get into some early, early Chinese projects like VeChain and Quantum. I was one of the initial investors in two of those projects. Um, and then, you know, initially it was Bitcoin, then Bitcoin funded Ethereum, and then Ethereum enabled me to fund bigger things that I, that I did really well with. Now I've kind of fallen back to just 
simplicity. Um, I'm in a number of different projects, but the majority of my stuff is in the top, the top projects. So the top few. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Polkadot. I'm a big fan of um, uh, of Cardano. Uh, big fan of Charles. Let's say that. Um, you know, taking some different approaches in the way that they're doing things, much more on the academic side of what he's done and bringing stuff forward. But uh, real, real big fan of, of Gavin Wood and and knowing those guys from the days back of Ethereum and knowing their drive and knowing their competitiveness and their smarts. Um, I was able to kind of see those projects for the last few years and 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 know that they were going to get to where they they had gotten up to. So uh, most of my stuff is in the is in the top few things: Ether, Bitcoin, uh, Cardano, Polkadot. I like Cosmos as well. Um, and there's there's a few others, but I'm not getting lost in a lot of the DeFi stuff. Um, I just think there's not enough time and energy and a lot of these, it, it's, it's a full-time gig to be running a lot of that stuff and keeping on top of stuff. So I've simplified my life quite a bit over the last few years. Um, and uh, you know, that, that's what I've got my portfolio for everybody else to be different. I don't like to tell people what to invest in or what to do, but, um, that's kind of where, I, where I've gotten. I've also got, you know, I've got real estate and, and some other things outside of the crypto space that I'm into. I'm also into, uh, you know, sustainable food um, grows, uh, a number of different things outside of the crypto space too. And so when you think about uh, the non-crypto side, it, uh, would you say more of your wealth is in crypto or not in crypto? Um, most of my, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more crypto now given the where the markets have gone, um, mm-hmm. but real estate was, was, was for me higher at the, you know, over the last couple of years, I did make some sizable investments in real estate. And then I have a number of other of other investments, um, crypto, non-crypto. That I don't even know what some of them are worth right now because uh, a lot of them were in at 2017, 2018, and they're now just starting to to to, to get going with some things. So, yeah, um, I would say I'm probably uh, crypto, non-crypto, and real estate probably pretty even. The the reason why I'm asking is uh, it's it's fascinating to me to see uh, people who made wealth outside of crypto come into crypto, the people who made wealth in crypto, do they actually want to diversify out of crypto in some cases? And uh, I don't see a pattern yet. It literally is yeah. uh, very, very different for for different people. And so uh, I'm watching it just because I think it'll be interesting. You know, if you kind of think of traditional investors, kind of 60, 40 portfolios really were kind of the standard for a long time. Uh, does that happen in crypto? Is there some sort of, uh, whether it is a portfolio construction um, among the top assets or uh, some sort of uh, commonality between non-crypto and crypto type portfolios? I just, I don't, I don't see a trend yet. There's also other factors too, like liquidity as well. So in my real estate stuff, I when when Ether was up about 100 bucks, I, I knew it was getting back up to its highs, and I was like, I'm going to just dump everything back into crypto. But going through the sales, doing all this, it, it's too much friction to get that done, and uh, I didn't end up doing it. But if I had it right then, and if I could have moved it into crypto back uh, January of last year, when I started seeing, you know, this is this is now, I feel we're getting back into things right now. I think Ether is going to hit its its high in the next 12 months, 18 months. Um, I, if I had that liquidity, I would have put it all in the crypto back then. I, I did make those picks back then, but I didn't. And now it's gone up, and I'm like, I'll just leave my real estate alone right now. That can that can that can do anything. But there's no set thing. I just whatever I kind of feel, whatever the gut feeling is to me, and I just feel we're just still so early on with this here um, that it would be kind of silly for me sometimes to not move stuff more into crypto if I feel like it's going to be going to have a much higher return than some other stuff. Absolutely. Makes, uh, makes complete sense. Tell me about Decentral and, and kind of what you guys are building there and Jax. Sure. So uh, Decentral is a company 
it was uh, kind of the, the idea of having a place in Toronto where I could do my meetups. So I, I got a, a, a building and that's kind of where Ethereum started out with and started doing our meetups. And I called it Bitcoin Decentral. I didn't want to call it Bitcoin Central. It just didn't seem to fit the ethos of, of Bitcoin. So I kind of coined the term, the, the term Decentral. And uh, this was right when we were starting Ethereum. So Bitcoin Decentral only lasted a few months because then I got rid of the Bitcoin and just called it Decentral because I kind of covered everything. So Decentral has been around since uh, 2014. Uh, we al amalgamated a few bunch of my, a bunch of my companies into one in 2017, but, but our main product is, is Jax Liberty. And it's a, Jax is a, is a wallet that uh, multi-currency, multi-platform interface that uh, supports about 12 mainnet coins, a bunch of different tokens. Uh, we've got news and pricing and portfolio and sending received to the networks and managing your crypto. It's all non-custodial, so the users are in full control of the keys. That's part of our, our ethos is, is we never want to hold or have access to customer funds. Um, it's a, it's a self-funded uh, um, company. I, I don't take outside capital with anything that I do. I just it, I don't, I don't uh, like to be um, constrained uh, by having to provide returns to investors and it enables me to go the speed that I want. Um, it enables me to not have to focus on, on, on investors as well and things. So it's enabled me to really be more flexible and uh, to do things at the pace I want. And um, we, we identified early on all the things the internet needed, the new decentralized world was going to need. So it needed a browser, which was the, you know, the, the internet needed needed Netscape. It needed the first initial browsers. It needed cloud services, so the tools that connect to the chains. It needs partnerships and app stores. So that's always been our goal. Is our goal is to build all of the, the pieces that the internet needed uh, in the new decentralized world. And we've kind of along the way built the browser, which is Jack's Liberty the interface. We built the the cloud services, which is our infrastructure that we built that connects to all the chains. And that's something that that we built from scratch and something that we're eventually going to going to open up and allow others to start using. Um, we have the partnerships that we that we brought into our interface so that, that the users can do the services that they want. So it's really an ecosystem that we built with Jax Liberty. And over the years, it's, it's garnered quite a bit of trust. Uh, we're in 220 plus countries. Um, because we don't have cold customer funds, we don't have the regulatory burdens of a, a normal company would in having to do KYC and AML for their users because we just don't actually hold your money. So we're never taking custodianship. Um, and then we use partners to facilitate all the services. So we, we're a very small, lean team of just a few people. Um, we've had millions of people download our products over the years. Uh, and now we're just starting into growth mode. So our infrastructure was revamped over the last couple of years. It's now scalable, interoperable. It's, it's the best thing that we've ever seen anybody create in order to connect to these chains. And now we're, we're finally, after eight years, going into, into user, ac user acquisition mode. And that's kind of exciting this year is is we've been really low key and just making sure our infrastructure and everything is, is, is ready to support uh, without, without a dime spent on any type of user acquisition. Um, over the last number of years, we're doing between two and 7,000 new users a day. Um, there's billions of dollars being managed in, in JAX that our users are, are managing right now themselves, not with us holding it, but they hold it. Um, and now I think the sky's the limit once we start uh, working with our external teams on on growth, on getting all our data and, and, and acquisition information put together, PR, all that stuff's now coming together. And I think people are going to start seeing us us more as we finally now can feel comfortable enough transitioning into 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 telling our users now, you know, check out what we built over the years. We've got a, we think we have a really good user experience. 
it's an all-in-one app. You really don't need to, do, to, to go outside of the app. You can buy your crypto and you can trade your crypto in there via our partners. Uh, it, it, it's really a, a good ecosystem right there. And um, the acquisition we do have right now is, is all been through, I think, word of mouth, because I can't see how else other, you know, thousands of people every day are coming in and, and, and using us with us, us out, not, not doing any outreach at all. So I, I think we've built the trust up and now we can start uh, working to, to grow and scale it and, and getting it because it's a tool I believe that the average person can utilize to get into the space. And I think those are the tools that are needed. Yeah. And so when you think about, um, kind of the use case for this, right? Uh, if you are able to build this all-in-one ecosystem where people come in, they can buy, they can store, uh, they can kind of use uh, the assets, uh, what's the 20-year vision, right? In terms of if you own the deposit, if you own kind of the payment, the transaction uh, in your ecosystem, there's all kinds of different things you can do. Do you have any idea what direction you want to take it uh, yeah. over kind of a, a decade or two? Yeah, I think that, um, well, my goal is to sell the company. Um, I, I have some other things that I that my mind has been going more towards that I want to I want to do. But in order to do that, I need to maximize the value of this to have the wealth that I need in order to do some of the the larger problem solving stuff I want to do. So I don't have a longer term horizon right now. Um, the idea that I've always had for the product and for the company was to again be the browser, be the cloud services, be everything that you need in one uh, in one interface that. That the masses can use but it's also it outlives us as well because people can always take their keys and go into another platform and that's part of what we built too because we wouldn't want everybody just to have to rely on us too so uh, that's another kind of ethos of the company is to make sure that it survives ourselves too but the vision i did have was to have thousands of partners to have this major ecosystem where people are using our key system to to encrypt their passwords like LastPass or uh, being able to 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 do their loans, everything, any any anything, any sector that that you can use with with smart contracts, or you can use right now in crypto, and that's going to be every sector. We we were going to the plan is to be that hub, it's to be that place that that you can do all of that, and it's all wrapped around decentralized identity communication um, and money. Those are really the three pillars we built on. Um, and that's what we offer. And that's, that's where I believe everybody should be in control of those things. We, we don't collect user information. We believe that should be held by the user, not us. We don't do advertising. There's no revenue streams there that are directing people down a path to buy something, which I think is one of the biggest problems the world has with technology and these models of, of making money or leading to this, this degradation of, of and tribal mentalities that we're seeing with people all because you're, you're being led down a path to buy something. And that's what people don't understand. And that's where a lot of this, this um, fake news out there and it, it gets people's emotional attachments to go do something. And that's unfortunate. It starts seeing this, this us versus them mentalities that are out there. And, and it all comes down to me, business models and those business models need to be changed. And that's kind of where my mind goes more to is how do we shift the incentive structures when people away from this maximizing shareholder return to, to creating positive impact and helping others and being of service to others. And, and that'll get you what you want, not the other way around. Um, so that's where my mind goes. But as, as the company, and as I would love to see Jack's be, is, is the, the go-to place that empowers people to be in control of their digital lives. That's, that's, that's what we build. Your money, your communication, and, and, and your, your identity should, should be in your hands. And you decide how that gets utilized and, and not via other people making money on it. 
For sure. Um, when you think about uh, corporations or entities, I know you've got a bunch of ideas around maximizing shareholder value uh, versus maybe optimizing for other uh, opportunities, uh, the whole idea of changing incentives. Just kind of share some of your thoughts there and, and uh, why this is important to you and, and what you think can change. Sure. So as a technologist, I just like to say, I, I think technologies are, are our biggest concern. I think the models that most people use, the business models about maximizing shareholder returns, every month having to, you have these investors that have put their faith and money into you um, and they're expecting and you're obligated to provide them a return. And along the way, a lot of companies, their their initial goals and motives and, and, and what they wanted to do ends up getting passed aside because now they're, 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 they have to do what's maximizing towards their, their shareholders. And that's where I think they start excluding others from the equation and stakeholders that, that you end up turning into enemies or you start, they start realizing that by them looking for more money or striving for more money, um, there's people that are being excluded here or that drive is coming at expense of, of the planet. It's coming at expense of other people. And, and it, 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 it's, it comes from not being able to think harder on how to do a better model is my opinion. It's the lack of problem solving capabilities and we'll be able to say these business models don't work. And, and I've recognized this for eight years. We've been building stuff, you know, not based on collecting user information or not based on um, maximizing returns for shareholders or not based on uh, advertising models. Because I, I recognize those are those are faulty models that are going to lead to situations like we see now. We see it, the models of the Facebooks, the Googles, and, and I don't want to single them. It's, it's just, that's what they know. That's what they've only known. They've known I collect, I, I have information or I sell to advertisers and now I'm, I'm, I'm beholden to them and I have to, to give them returns. So I need to, to direct our customers to do these things that appease these people. And these, 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 these customers or users are, are, are being guided to do things that they're not even aware half the time that they're doing. And that's kind of the most nefarious stuff. And, and that's, that's what a lot of these models like is that we're going to get you to do something you don't even know you're doing. And that's what we are seeing is people that are not sophisticated enough being led by advertiser models, advertiser models to, to some type of goal that that advertiser wants you to do. And they're not sophisticated enough to understand that they're being led down something that, 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 is, that has a different motive there. And, and that frustrates me because it's taking advantage of people that don't know any better. And, and this is leading to um, not just a problem with people's information getting exposed and, and the models of, of the hacks that come about from centralized systems that are storing massive amounts of people information and credit card numbers. But what's even worse than that is, 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 is the, this, 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 these zombie-like states that people are going into uh, and reading things that are contrary to their beliefs or they go down a path and they go down a rabbit hole and now their emotions are tied to this journey. And it's all because at the end, end game is for you to go and do something that's going to put some more money in someone's pocket. And they're not sophisticated enough to understand that they're going down that path. So my kind of my thesis in this whole thing is that the, it's the incentive structures of the world are misaligned. They're misaligned and they're leading to the problems that we have. And there's a solution to it, I believe, which is to showcase that the more energy and the more people we can get towards creating and being of service and creating uh, positive results for more people, the more you can spearhead movements towards towards identifying stakeholders and creating wins for stakeholders by problem solving and thinking beyond the normal models, that's how you create movements. And those that bring people together 
and those that showcase that if I'm helping and being of service to others, they will join me because them joining me helps them. And the more people will realize that if we can shift towards impact and shift our thoughts and even our companies and our brands and towards creating good for people, that's what the people want. And you'll get your return in spades by doing that. Not, and, and, but it, it takes the, the brain power to think about it, not the general model of we got to make more money. We don't care who, who's at the expense of who. We're going to do things the way that we've always done it. And, and why are these people not happy with us? Well, they're not happy because you're discluding them. You're not figuring out how to create win-win-win-win-wins for everybody. So I've spent a few years building up problem-solving models that I that's, that I'm hoping I can spearhead this change towards this shift towards uh, creating compounding impact. And by doing that, you will get the the returns that you want and your shareholders want by becoming a brand or an icon that is helping others. And, and that's how I think we're going to start distinguishing the icons of the world, those that are really stepping forward and showing leadership and bringing people together on common things that help more people out. And that's how I think you create movements. So that's where my passion lies. And that's what I want to be doing in the future is, 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 is providing that plan for that shift and actually showcasing that that will work. And that's, that's the way to do things. For sure. And so how do people do that in practice, right? Like the, the mission is uh, admirable. Uh, it's very clear. It's very obvious kind of uh, what the idea is. But if you're running a business today, what is like the practical application of it? Or, or what can you do today uh, to start moving in that direction? So for me, it all comes back to, to my formulas to solve problems. And though the formulas that I have kind of, they are unique. They, they, they bring in stakeholders that you wouldn't even think would be in your problem. It tries to add as many stakeholders as possible. And then it works. And I, and I use the, you know, my ability to be able to piece everything together to figure out and not stop until all stakeholders have a win. As a general company, though, what, what the world is lacking is a lot of leadership and a lot of problem-solving capabilities. So part of my plan is to release the formulas that, I, that I'm putting in. I've got it into a paper right now. I call it perfect formula. And, and it all revolves around the concept of win-win-wins and identifying as many stakeholders and creating movements by bringing people together. So for me, it's, it's the model that I've been putting together that I think will be the first step for people understanding. Here's a new way of looking at problem solving. And if you can utilize this model to solve problems like I've utilized them in the past, it's going to give you and your company an opportunity to figure out how to create wins for more people than you would ever think you could. So it's a lot of people are, are, are maybe operating at a 20% formula that they're using, but they're excluding 80% of the stakeholders that they should be able to bring into the mix and create wins for. So a lot of companies just don't have the brain power of problems on the capabilities to do that. They, they, they know the models that they know. They just don't have the, the skill set and the tools to be able to think beyond that. And that's kind of where I can come into play. And not just me, but I like to call my superhero network of problem solvers. This crypto space is, is, is full of problem solvers. And it's not just about the crypto space. The crypto thing is kind of one tool in my tool belt. There's, there's so much more, I think, that, that needs to be explored, not just for me, but others that are doing these amazing things in the space is your problem solvers. And the ability to tackle a problem, if you've got trust capital, social capital, all the different wealth capital, knowledge capital, all these capital things, tools that people can put together that I think I've tried to put together over the years. And then if I can bring in others that I know in my network, so the social capital that I have, to be able to descend on a problem and showcase new ways of doing things. Um, so preliminary right now, I think it'd be difficult for, for an entity to, 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 to switch or to say, here, I understand what you're saying, but how do I, I need that plan and that, plan and that path. That's what I'm developing first. And that's the first thing that's going to come out as a paper on, on perfect formula and how 
the problem solving method can be utilized so that you can be a company or a brand or a person and utilize this in order to, to get what you want. And that's usually about empowering people. You're, it's, it's the tools to empower people to monetize or to, to if you're an icon, monetize your career or, or be able to utilize and activate your fans together on a common goal of creating good for other people. So it, 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 more of my, of my, my, my structure and my framework, I'll, I'll be bringing out and releasing. You get a clearer picture of what it is, the different stages and the different things of a problem solving format formula. Um, so, but right now it's, it, I'd say one thing, it's, it's try to figure out how you can add as many stakeholders to your problem as possible and figure out a way to create wins for those stakeholders. Because the more people you add and the more people you're creating wins for, the more people will be on your side. So if you are a brand or a company, it's how are you creating positive impact in your users' lives? Or how are you attracting new people because you're solving their problems? Everybody's got a problem. Everybody has a problem and is looking for a guide with a plan. So how can you be that guide with a plan that's, 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 that's solving people's problems and day-to-day -day problems? And so that, that would be, I think, one, one thing I would say is, is, is bring in more stakeholders and figure out how you can create, create wins that impact their day-to-day -day lives and get them alongside your mission, whether you're a company or brand or what it is, along with what you're doing, because by them joining you, their life gets better. Yeah. When you think out, you know, 50 years from now, what do you want your legacy to be? I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, my mission right now is again, to be of service to people and I'm utilizing the perfect formula to do that. That's my problem solving capabilities to be a service to as many people as I can. Is, is what I'm doing. Um, I think the incentive structures are the, are the biggest problem the world has. And I think if I, if I could be known for a person that is able to showcase to people, there's a better way of doing things. There's a better way, um, to, to be incentivized, not just by wealth and by thinking of yourself and your company, you've got to think of as many people as possible. So, uh, if, if Ray Dalio is known for principles, I'd like to be known as the incentives guy that is able to shift the incentives of the world to positive impact. And the more you do with that, the more you'll get of the other stuff you're looking for. Yeah. And so when you think uh, about how people can uh, do this, if they don't run a company, what, what do you think about in terms of uh, how they can kind of chip in as well? So it's obvious the company uh, founders or, or uh, executive teams or the people who uh, kind of have control, power and influence, but how do everyday people uh, kind of participate alongside these same ethos? I think, I think constantly learning, constantly just have that drive for knowledge, um, connecting with people, uh, there's, 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 there's kind of two different classes. I see there's the people that, that are, are understanding that, that they, they need to, to get ahead and to understand they need to, to take time and energy to do so. And it can't just be something that falls on your lap. And, um, when I was doing the meetups and, and bringing people together, it was really the people that would, that would go to their day-to-day -day jobs. And then afterwards they would come over and cause they were excited about something. They're interested in something. They want to see what's next, what's coming up. So I think complacency is 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 something that that uh, challenges people a lot when when all of a sudden one day they haven't kept up with what's going on in their industry or their sector and they get hit over the head because something's come along that's displaced them and they didn't see it coming. It's like, well, you got to see this stuff coming. There is the you know we it's very competitive nature and you have to know and stay ahead of the curve and be able to to keep learning and keep striving to to, to, to gain. So if you're someone in a company that's working in, 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 and you're, you're looking to see how you could help contribute or bring things to light for the seniors, um, I know starting, starting groups of your peers together, bringing people together around a certain thing, because then when you have enough, enough people together of an idea or something, then you can take it to 
uh, take it take it larger. I mean, I've had a number of people in my meetups that started groups within their their companies around crypto, um, and that's had some pretty good success of getting some you know whether it be in a bank or whether it be in in different areas, um, uh, bringing people together, something you're excited about, uh, getting strength in numbers, and then being able to propose something or ideas to to senior management that that um, that might make them you know, consider and diplomacy is always a big thing for me. It's not acting crazy. Uh, there's too many people that I've seen that have gone on, on, a, on, a, on a mission or something and, and, and they won't get the people to listen to them because they act like they're crazy. So doing something in a way that's going to be diplomatic and it's going to showcase to someone, here's, here's something maybe you consider, um, uh, doing it in, in a way that's, that's humble in a way that, that makes sense. And has been well thought through all these things are going to get uh, people listening to you. I think a little bit more um, in a way than, than than I've seen that a lot of people do it to, that, that that doesn't lead to the good results. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. Before I let you go, I always ask everyone the same three questions. You'll get to ask me one question at the end. Uh, the first is, what is the most important book that you've ever read? Uh, the Daily Stoic. Why? It's 365 meditations um, from philosophers and it's something that I bought numerous copies of that I give out to people. And it's something that I enjoy reading because it's, it's, I can read one page and each page is kind of a meditation. It's a certain, around a certain theme with a quote from a philosopher and, and an idea and a concept that I can then think about that day. Or sometimes what I'll do is I, I do a couple times a year, I'll do like a seven day silent retreat and I'll do a fast and I'll take this book and I'll go through the whole thing and I'll make notes on it. And it really just keeps me grounded. And I just love the, the, I just align with the ideas in it. And it's, 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 it's got so many words of wisdom from previous philosophers that it's something that I, that I easy for me to say that that's the number one book. Second question is more personal sleep schedule. Uh, I used to sleep five or six hours. Now I sleep like eight or nine. Uh, and this question comes from our friends over at eight sleep who have a thermoregulated bed. Uh, I sleep on this thing. I turn it ice cold and sleep like a baby now. And it's literally been life-changing. Uh, what is your sleep schedule and how has that changed over time? So my ideal sleep schedule is what I, what I'm sticking to right now is, is I'm in bed by nine or 10 and I get up at three. Um, I, I, from three to eight is my time. That's literally the time when I'm not distracted. Um, I can putter around, take care of my emails, get ready for the day in a way that I'm not rushing in anything. Um, it's, it's something that I, that's the most important time for me is, is that morning time to get myself set up for the day. And then eight o'clock rolls around and I start focusing on with my team. We do our stand up in the morning. Uh, I'll take a nap from like two to three, for like a half an hour. Uh, but, but that's it. And, and I found the most important thing for sleep for me is the food that I eat. Uh, the better that I eat, the less carbs I eat, the less sleep I need. When I fast, uh, within the second day, I, I need half to sleep. And there's just, the digestion is so taxing on the body that if you're not putting in, if I'm not putting the things that, that are good for the body and that can go through pretty quickly, um, I need to sleep more. So the heavier foods I eat leads to a lot more sleeping that I have to do. So um, definitely a, a, a leaner diet for me helps me to not need as much sleep. And I'm pretty good with, with, you know, five or six hours usually works pretty good for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, last question is more fun. Aliens, are you a believer or a non-believer? Yeah, I, I don't know if we've ever seen any, but I just, the mathematics and the numbers just doesn't make seem to make sense to me that we're the only thing out there. I just, 
I just, I just don't think it is, but I could be wrong with it. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think they're out there. I don't know if we're going to come in contact, but, uh, but I agree. <laughs> uh, what one question do you have for me to, uh, to finish up? What, what was the, what was your initial drive for the show to, to get this off the ground and what you've done? Cause you, I don't know how many hundreds of episodes you've done now, but you're doing like what, almost one every day, something like that. Like, it's just phenomenal. It's the, it's the, and, and the amount of, the amount of, of, you know, attention that, or not attention, but what you've done for the space and, and bring the light and bring all these people together to have these conversations. It's just been phenomenal. So what initially started you in that, in that first drive to get something like this off the ground? Uh, literally uh, a couple of guys came to me and they said, uh, Hey, you should start a podcast. And I said, I don't even know how to do that. What is a podcast? And they were like, you know, we can do it all. All you have to do is walk in the room and uh, basically interview it. Later found out uh, that Mike and Jason had no clue what they were doing, uh, but they went home and they Googled a bunch and they figured it out. Uh, so, you know, I, I respect anyone who basically can do that. And uh, we recorded three of them, released them and uh, people liked it. So we just kept going and you know, started out kind of one a week and then two a week, three a week, and now uh, five a week. And so we calculated it the other day. It's been about uh, two and a half years, almost exactly. Uh, and so, uh, we did 500 shows in two and a half years, which is basically okay. releasing one almost every 36 hours, which is just a crazy thing to think about when, uh, we look in hindsight, but you know, we're pretty efficient with it. And so uh, I learned a lot. I get to meet great people. Uh, and I think a lot of people enjoy listening. So uh, we'll keep doing it. Great. Well, I enjoyed the conversation immensely. Thanks so much for having me on. For sure. Where can we send people to find you, uh, either on the internet or find more about the central? Uh, probably my, my Twitter is probably the best. It's Diorio Anthony. So at D-I-I-O-R-I-O Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. Awesome, man. Well, listen, Anthony, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you've been around for a long time and uh, you're still building, which I appreciate. So we'll have to do it again in the future. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. See you.